So today we're beginning a new collection of teachings called Essentials Worship. You'll recall a few years back, we actually did a a few collections in Essentials, one on prayer and one on scripture. So I really recommend you go back and listen to those if you have not. But our heart behind these collections really is to focus and dive deeper into those things that we would call essential to our faith. In other words, the things that we cannot do without on our spiritual journeys. And I think that we could all agree that worship is essential to the Christian faith. Yet when we talk about worship, there's a lot of confusion about what exactly it is, right? One person would describe a particular style of music like gospel or CCM. Another uses it to describe like a formal liturgy, like a service like this. Another person would say, my whole life is worship, Pastor Mickey. You know, growing up, it was explained to me this way. And I think this is a really horrible explanation. But my pastor told me the first two songs that are fast during the worship set are praise. And then the two slow songs after the fast songs, those are worship when everyone's weeping, when it's dark, when everyone's crying. And I don't think that's a really good definition, but that's what I grew up knowing worship to be. And I think a lot of us would bring different answers to the table when we ask, what is worship? And I find that worship is one of the most practiced disciplines in the church today, yet one of the least understood out of all the disciplines, right? We dedicate one third of us, of our Sunday service, of our gathering to worship. But if you would ask anyone why we're actually doing what we're doing, you'd likely get a mixed response. Like, why do we sing to this invisible deity that's all around us, but we're still inviting to come every time? Why do we lift our hands? Why do we worship at all if God already knows our hearts? What's the point of it all. And I think maybe one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest fundamental issues when we're approaching worship is we focus a lot on the what of worship without fully understanding the why behind worship. See, the thing is the worship, the what of worship is not as important as the why of worship. In, In fact, when we try to do the what of worship without fully understanding the why, worship becomes this empty religious duty. It's something we just check off our list of the things we're supposed to do. And so we go through the motions. We come on Sunday. We come into this dark room with the disco ball spinning. And we're just going through the songs, barely singing, not into it, not feeling it, not feeling the life or the beauty of it. And we're just mindless zombies doing what we've been taught to do without really understanding why. Hear me, church, the why is what fuels the what of our worship. And until we understand why, we'll never be able to tap into the beauty and the life that God has for us in worship. And so our goal in this collection is very simple. We're going to explore both the why and the what of worship. We're going to explore the heart matters, the foundational matters, but we're also going to practice a lot of the things that we see in the Bible. And so in the weeks to come, just expect that we're going to be activated and practicing different styles of worship. And so our goal is to get a better understanding of what worship is and why it's so essential to our faith. And we're going to tap into the beauty and life of worship. Y'all on board with that? Y'all excited for that? Awesome. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. It's the day that you have made, not tomorrow, not yesterday. Well, actually, you made yesterday and you're going to make tomorrow. But today specifically is the day that you have chosen for us to come into your house and meet with you. And so I know that you have something good for us. So would you come and meet with us here in Jesus' name? We pray, amen. What is worship? 
what is worship? You could get a lot of answers, but if we look to the word worship, it actually comes from an old English word that translates to worth-ship. It's kind of cool. It sounds similar. Worship, worth-ship. It's describing highest worth. In other words, the thing that you value or love the most, the thing that's your greatest source of significance and security is the thing that you are worshiping in your heart. Maybe it's a challenging question to ask, what would that thing be for you right now? Is it God? And so when we say we're worshiping God, what we're really saying is, God, there isn't anyone or anything that I love or value more than you. Worship is seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. And I love worship. Worship is so unique because it's one of the only true gifts that we could give to God. Check this out. Why? Because with prayer, right, when we pray, we're expecting to receive a response from God. When we read scripture, we're expecting to receive a revelation. Even in giving, scripture says, test me in this. See if I will not bless you if you give unto me. When we give, even when we give in our tithes and our time and our energy, we're expecting blessing. But with worship, we worship, we give not to get something in return, but solely for the purpose of loving him. In other words, worship is one of the only things, one of the only things we get to do unto God without thinking about what I get out of it, what I'm supposed to receive, what I'll get in return. And yes, we do get something out of worship, right? This is how I fought my battles. Worship releases breakthrough. Worship releases the, uh, defeats the enemy. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. Yes, we get stuff out of worship and praise, but the focus is not on what we receive. It's on what God receives. Let me ask you something. When was the last time that you truly in your heart of hearts gave something to God without an expectation of receiving something in return? Like you just gave something to God. You gave a song to God. You gave offering to God. You gave your time to God. You gave whatever to God without any focus on what I'm getting back When was the last time you just loved him to love him? Not because you needed help or comfort, not because you needed an answered prayer, not because you needed breakthrough or blessing, but just because you wanted him to know, I really love you, God. That's worship. I love this definition by Mike Todd. He puts it this way, and I think this is really helpful for us to understand what worship is. He says, worship is our love expressed to God as a response to his love expressed toward us. I love that what he says is worship is a response. It reminds me of 1 John 4.19, where it says, we love because why? He first loved us us. It's not something we conjure up out of the blue. It's not something we will into reality from nothing. It's a response of the love that he first poured on us. Hear me, church, the most extravagant worshipers that you're ever going to meet aren't those who are the most talented at singing, aren't those who are the most passionate or expressive. The most extravagant worshipers that you'll ever meet are simply the most thankful. 
They remember everything that God has done for them and they carry it in their mind and their hearts. They're filled with gratitude because they know without God, they would be somewhere they would not want to be. Those who have tasted of the goodness of God have no choice but to respond in worship. Worship as a response. Back in my old church, there was this guy and some of you might know him that that was at that old church with me. But every worship set that we led he would be in the front row. And you know, you know, in, in church, like people, like people know how to dance in the clubs, but then they get into the church and they only know how to dance like this. It's like a white people dance. And, 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 and they, everyone it was dancing like that in worship service. It was pretty lively. But every time we would start worship, this dude would straight up like 90s hip-hop breakdancing, he'd be like, oh, how great is our God, like straight up the whole set, and you know, honestly, I'd be on, I'd be on stage, and I'd be trying not to laugh, but part of me's like, oh man, he's worshiping, but like, why, like, why is he doing that, one time I swear, he went, you're the name, like, he would be all over the floor, there would be empty rows, it would be like Josh right here, empty seats next to him, because he would just be going that hard, And one day I just approached him. I was like, yo, you were really feeling worship today, right? I'll never forget what he said to me. I never laughed again after this. He said, Mickey, if you know what God had delivered me from, you would know why I dance like this. And he told me, you have no, you have no idea. He, he rescued me from my addictions. I made a mess of my life. I imploded my entire life. God saved me from that. And that's why I worship and after that, I, I, God, I'm so sorry for laughing. I'm so sorry for, because that, I can't knock that. He's genuinely responding to the love that he received from God. When was the last time you worshiped as a response to God's love? Instead of just coming in and saying, this is what we do. Or I'm trying to feel the feels. A response to the love of God. Worship is our love expressed to God as a response to his love expressed to us. And so it's not worship if it's not love. But here's the other thing. It's not worship if it's not expressed. What if I came up here and I told you, the last time I ever said I love you to Krista was seven years ago at the altar in Sausalito. That was the last time I said I love you too. Because she knows, right? We made the vows. We made the covenant. She knows I love her. I tell you what, I would not be alive. I would not be here today if that's the way we carried our relationship. We know we love each other, but there's something in the expression of love that's so important. This is a rule. If you get married, you better say I love you to your wife or your husband every single day. That's just something you do in a love relationship. It's not worship. It's not love if it's not expressed. And so worship is this continuous expression of love as a response to the love that we've received from God And so the question then is, how then is our love expressed to God? And so we're going to spend the rest of this time in this book, Rhythms of Grace by Mike Cosper. He gives us this framework to help us understand worship better. And we're going to spend the rest of our time just diving deeper into that. And I hope it enriches your understanding of worship. He calls it worship one, two, three. Look to your neighbor, say one, two, three. Look to your other neighbor, say three, two, one. What does he mean? Worship one, two, three. Worship has one context. It has, oh, sorry, it has one object, two contexts, and three audiences. One object, 
two contexts and three audiences. And um, I'm not sure if we'll get to the audience part. If we don't, we'll do a part two next week, but we're going to try to get through it. Y'all ready for this? Okay. So helping us understand worship. Worship begins with one object, right? First and most importantly, God He's at the center of all our worship. He is the object of our love and affection. He is the most important thing. The psalmist writes in Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. He is our one thing, the, the one all of our worship is aimed at. But the challenge and maybe you'll experience this too, is to keep God the one thing. Because so many other things are always competing for our attention and our affection. See, we're all worshiping someone or something, whether we realize it or not. At this very moment, Harold Best, he writes this book about worship, and he says this, at this very moment, and for as long as this world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone, an artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. The way we live our lives reveals the object of our worship, where our money, our time, our energy, our attention, our thoughts, our feelings, our affection, wherever it goes, is ultimately the object of our worship. It's the thing that we value or love the most. And even though we come to church once a week on a Sunday and spend 30 minutes saying, God, you are my one thing. God, you saved me. God, I give you my life. Our lives outside of church might say something otherwise, wouldn't it? Our lives might say that we actually worship our money or our career. Our lives might actually say we worship our partner or our friend group. Our lives might actually say we worship religion, the idea of faith instead of actual relationship with God. In Romans one twenty five, this is why Paul said they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Hear me, church. When creation becomes our object of worship, it's nothing but a lie. We expect to get all the fulfillment, all the love, all the satisfaction that we need from creation when actually it's only able to come from creator. And I remember one of my mentors, he told me this, our lives are disordered when our loves are disordered. In other words, when our loves are disordered, when what's supposed to be the most important thing isn't ordered correctly, our lives become disordered. And you might even see there's various degrees, right? We all know that relationships are important, but what happens in that season when work gets hella busy, right? We reorder that and what happens? You end up burning out. You end up feeling disordered yourself. Our loves have to be properly ordered. It's when we place something above God where restlessness, emptiness, and anxiety begin to flood in. But the life and the beauty and the fullness that God promises us comes only when we're able to make God the center of our worship, the object of our affection. And so the first thing we have to do is make sure that God is the object 
object of our worship, the center of our existence. And hear me, church, this ain't a one-time thing. I know we love to say, I went to that retreat one time and I came to the altar and God became my everything. But no, that's not our story. I have to come back to God every single week, sometimes every single day, and say, God, there's so many things I care about right now more than you. But I know that I want my life reordered according to you, according to your love. It's something that we continuously do again and again. Say, God, become the object of my worship again. And so worship has one object, but also worship has two contexts. And it happens in the scattered worship and gathered worship. Scattered and gathered. What is worship scattered? Worship scattered is the spirit-filled life of the believer out in the world. It's our lives outside of our church, right? It's the offering of our Mondays through our Saturdays. And I think some of us, we come in here and we do pretty good worship on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, there is no ounce of worship we give unto God. And this is usually where a limited understanding of worship really shows. Um, I, I adapted this from a book, but I'm, I'm going to read three people, okay? Three descriptions of people. And these names, um, I just chose your names because you're who I know. These are not true statements or facts, okay? So don't hold me to that. Ying almost chews out his roommate for not doing the dishes, but decides to choose patience and gentleness when talking to him about it. Gabby turns down a new position at work because she knows it will rob her of her desire to be more present with her loved ones in a sustainable way. Josh sings loud and passionately at church, lifting his hands for the epic bridge of the Maverick City worship song. Which one was worshiping? I think sometimes we would naturally gravitate to say Josh is the one worshiping. And even if the other guys are worshiping a little bit, Josh is the one that's really worshiping. But no, those are all equal playing field, right? We think worship is just this Hillsong music video when the lights go dim and the fog machine goes up and the band is playing and the people are singing and hands are lifted up and goosebumps come when the piano hits that solo and then our heart races when the drum beat comes. But no, because that's not worship. And because we think that's what worship is, we, air, we rarely ever feel like we're really worshiping outside of church, don't we? Have, come on, let's be real. Have you ever had that thought? The only time I really worshiped this week was on Sunday from 11 to 11.30 a.m. at 99 Church. And we think that is what worship is, but worship is more than a song. Hear me, church. Yes, it's the songs we sing to God, but it's also the dishes that you wash. It's also all those damn diapers that I got to change for Zion. It's working out. It's the work you do at your company. It's spending time with the friend. It's serving those in need. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything we meant do is meant to be an act of worship that glorifies God. Now, this is where I'm going to give, I think every sermon I'm going to give a don't be that weird Christian disclaimer, right? It doesn't mean we have to say Jesus every time we send an email, like, oh, I'm going to send this to my coworker, Jesus, 
Jesus. It doesn't mean we have to shout hallelujah every time we wash a dish. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean we say shitabana. It doesn't mean we speak in tongues when we get together. It simply means learning to be aware that God is with me in everything I do in all of my life. Not just when I'm singing or lifting my hands in the middle of worship at church, but all of my life, everything that I'm doing is meant to be an offering back up to him. And so when I'm washing the dishes, I don't even have to say, God, I'm washing these dishes for you. Just knowing that as I'm washing dishes in my being, that God is with me. And I say, God, I still give you my attention even in this. That is worship unto God. And so worship scattered is the life of the believer outside of the church. But worship gathered is the meeting of God's people to remember, encourage, and bless one another. Right? Scripture tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. Jesus tells us that when two or more are gathered in his name, he is there with them. So each of us, we're temples that are dwelling places of God. The presence of God goes with you everywhere you go. When you go outside these doors, when you go to the bathroom, when you go to the restaurant, the spirit of God is with you. But how often do we go throughout our week and forget that the presence of God is with us? How often do we forget that God is in in the middle of the storm? How often do we forget who we are in the face of insecurity and comparison? How often do we forget that God is moving when I can't see anything happening around me, right? Something happens when these scattered temples outside of the church come together, they become a greater temple. And when this temple gathers, you know, I think of it like Voltron, right? All the pieces come together. These scattered temples come together to erect a big temple. In this temple, something otherworldly takes place. When we gather together, when this temple gathers, we become a fellowship of believers who remember who they are in this world that's constantly telling us who we're not. We remember that we are an outpost of hope in the midst of a broken world. When this temple gathers, we get a taste of heaven here on earth is why we read through this passage a few weeks ago paul says in hebrews 10 24 through 25 let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching yes you are the temple for god's presence yes he is with you wherever you go and yet paul says don't give up meeting why because we need encouragement We need spurring on toward love. We need others to strengthen us in our faith. And what happens when we worship is we're retelling the story of God to one another, right? When we sing, we're reminded of what God has done, what God is doing, and what he promises to do. We talked about speaking the truth in love a few weeks ago, how we use it in conflict. But I love that there's actually another side to speaking in love that goes beyond just saying the hard things to one another in conflict. Eugene Peterson, who writes the MSG version of the Bible, he says this, speaking the truth in love, it's not so much about about interpersonal boldness as it is about a community of faith, oh, a, commu- a community that shares a confession, a unified expression of faith in the God who saved them. In other words, when we worship, think about it like this. We're actually speaking the truth and love to one another, right? 
we're reminding each other of the story of God. When we sing, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. We're reminding the person to our left and our right that God has got us covered. He's surrounding us. When we sing, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, we're reminding each other of the love that God that pursues us. In this sense, we're, we're speaking the truth and love to one another when we worship. It's not just a, a vertical relationship of worship, but we're also singing over one another, reminding each other of the story that we're in. And so in this sense, the gathering isn't unique because we're encountering God. The gathering is unique because we're encountering one another. It's unique because we're encountering the people of God filled with the Spirit, spurring one another on toward love. It's unique because Christ in me meets Christ in you. And it makes Christ in us. I don't, that's not, I just made that up. And so both scattered worship and gathered worship are necessary. But here's the cool thing. Gathered worship, when we get here on Sundays, when we worship together, it actually feeds scattered worship. Right? Because as we build one another up, we go back into the world. We go back to our jobs. We go back to our house. We go back to our families, encouraged, strengthened, and filled with the Spirit. We go back into our lives, remembering the story of God, remembering the story that we're in. But also, and I think this is maybe something we need to work on as a community scattered worship feeds into gathered worship. And so when each worshiper brings their own story to the gathering, when each worshiper brings their own story of growth, their own suffering, their own faith, their own revelation, it actually feeds into the atmosphere of the gathered worship. Now, I I said it many times, but my highlights of the year were baptisms this year, when Seabell got baptism and when Alex got baptized. And the reason why is because it is this exactly They were bringing their stories into the gathered worship and it just created an atmosphere where we're just encouraged, strengthened, and reminded of the story of God. By the way, we're doing baptisms on our anniversary service. So if you have been feeling a tug to get baptized, now is the time. Don't even delay. Come find me after service. I believe there's one of you. It's going to be great. All the attention will be on you. We're going to give you gifts. It's going to be amazing. So do it. Okay. And so scattered worship also feeds gathered worship. Harold Best, once again, he says, we do not go to church to worship, but as continuing worshipers, we gather ourselves together to continue our worship, but now in the company of brothers and sisters. And so we don't come to church to worship. We come to church to continue our worship. Everything you do outside of here is worship unto God. And so it's the gospel rhythm of worship being scattered and gathered, sent, and coming back together. So worship, one object, God. Worship, two contexts, scattered, gathered. But worship has three audiences. And it's not the Trinity. Well, it kind of is. So these rhythms of scattering and gathering, they happen before three audiences, before God, before the church, and before the world. God as our audience, right? Unfortunately, when we think of God as like our audience, it's not usually like a positive image. We imagine 
God kind of looking like Simon Cowell, watching our lives, waiting to pick apart every little thing that we're doing wrong. We imagine, right, like a hypercritical father, where even if we hit all the right notes and we have to perform, the best that we can expect is not bad, right? That's usually our image of God as our audience. But the truth is this, God is not far off. We don't need to shout for him to hear us. We don't need to perform perfectly for him to pay attention. And we remember Jesus who even before lifting a single finger in ministry received the affirmation of the father with you, I'm well pleased. And that's the default position that we have with God, that he is well pleased with us. He delights in us. And so we never need to worry that our offerings of worship are never enough. Um, For Father's Day this year, my wife, well, actually, Zion handed me a card. Well, okay, it was my wife's hands putting Zion's hands on a card, handing it to me. And I opened it up and it said, Happy Father's Day in my wife's handwriting. And then there was a scribble. And then my wife told me, oh, that translates also to Happy Father's Day. And I found out that my wife took Zion's hand and grabbed a marker and just like kind of tried to write Happy Father's Day. And honestly, when I saw that ugly piece of calligraphy, Something inside me just lit up, and I thought, I'm going to frame this. I'm going to keep this forever. It's in my drawer right now. I look at it pretty often. I'm delighted. Even though it looks ugly as hell, to me, it is beautiful. And I think sometimes we think that when we bring an offering to God, he'll be like, "Eh, that's not it. Not quite right. Got to do a little more there. Got to sing a little louder. Got to hit the right notes. But when we come with our offering to God, his default position is, I'm delighted. And I think some of us, we've been living with the anxiety that, God, I have to please you. I have to get it right. But how much freer would life be? How much lighter would life be if we knew that God was an audience who's already pleased and already delighted? Hear me, church. We don't worship for love. We worship from love. We don't worship to get love. We worship because we are love. And some of us simply don't care to worship because we haven't taken the time to sit in God's love for us recently. We don't care to worship because we haven't taken the time to remember all that he's done for us. God is a delighted audience member. He is the Paula Abdul in the judge, judge crowd. He is the one that's delighted with everything that we're bringing before him. I don't watch American Idol. I don't even know if Paula Abdul was a good judge. I don't know, but that's just my image of her. And so God as our audience, but number two, church as our audience, the church as our audience. There's been a lot of criticism lately about modern worship lyrics and how they're so hyper-focused on us, right? Worship should be God-centered and not man-centered, right? We should get back to only singing about God and to God. But we forget that a good chunk of the Psalms were actually singing about and to Israel, Some of the songs were designed in such a way where it wasn't meant just to be sung to God. It was meant to be sung to one another in the gathering. And I think many New Testament passages thought to be early hymns in the New Testament church were declarative and confessional rather than directly addressing God. In other words, a lot of the ancient songs that were sung were sung to one another. That's why Colossians 3.16, Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through what? Through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
one of these days, we're just going to come in and we just got to face each other during worship. Like, I'm just going to look at Josh. Oh, the over, right? Because this was a discipline in the early church, the act of singing psalms and spiritual songs over one another. See, when we're gathering, we're not just singing to the audience of God. We're singing to the audience of one another. We're declaring the truths of the gospel over one another. And hear me, church, our participation in worship isn't just for our individual relationship with God. It's also meant to strengthen my brother. It's also meant to encourage my sister. When you sing, the bold confession that comes out of your mouth may be exactly what someone needs who's in the middle of a struggle. I'll never forget, I was in a worship service. I was leading worship. Someone came up to me after and told me the testimony that as we were singing one of the songs, all of a sudden the lyrics, right, um, I forgot what song. Oh, Jaira, you're more than enough. You're more than enough. We're singing that again and again. And they said they came in feeling like they weren't enough. They came in feeling like I don't have enough to give in my relationships, in my work. I don't have enough to give to God. But I was reminded in the gathering as I heard people singing, you are more than enough. I was reminded that I'm enough in God. That's the power when we see the church as an audience, not just a a means to strengthen our individual faith with God. And the last thing, the word world as our audience. As the church gathers to worship, it proclaims to the surrounding world that Jesus is king. You know, I love that we do worship with the doors open in the back because there's a sense where the worship of the saints, the the hope that we're declaring is actually flooding the neighborhood. It declares to the world that God has come to bring shalom, the restoration and the wholeness of all things. That's why in 1 Corinthians 14.25, Paul says, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare in the gathering, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. In other words, it was the worship of the church church that caused some people to say, God is really there. He's really living among you. He is who you really say he is. My man, TK, Tim Keller, he says, it cannot be missed that Paul directly tells a local congregation to adapt its worship because of the presence of unbelievers. It is a false dichotomy to insist that if we are seeking to please God, we must not ask what the unchurched feel or think about our worship. God wants the world to overhear us worshiping him. God directs his people not to simply worship, but to sing his praises before the nations. We are not to simply communicate the gospel to them, but celebrate the gospel before them. I know a lot of you, you've brought coworkers and people that haven't been church or haven't followed God to our church. And one consistent feedback I hear from people who aren't believers when they visit our church is say, I really enjoyed the time of singing. I felt the passion and the energy in the music. I, I felt something when I was with you guys and you guys were singing those songs and lifting. I felt something in that moment. And I think there's power in that. The world is our audience. Quick disclaimer. This doesn't mean that we're forcing our worship upon the world. You guys remember that video went viral of um, the missions group on the plane that started singing and then uh, people were just forced, like they couldn't even leave, right? They were just in that plane stuck with these people singing these songs. And I think that's actually not the correct posture or the way that we're supposed, this is not what I'm talking about, where we go to people and we force our songs of worship upon them. No, worship, when we worship, it's an invitation 
for the world to be our audience. It's not something we're coercing or forcing people. And there's a big difference. And so three audiences, God, the church, and the world. And I find that most of our issues with worship stems when we overemphasize one category over the other. And so as we close, I want you to ask yourself, with worship one, two, three, what's a category that you are underemphasizing in your life? Maybe you overemphasize gathered worship. And so the only time you really think about worshiping God is when you come here on Sunday. But your scattered life, you don't, you don't give a single ounce of attention to God throughout the week. Maybe you overemphasize scattered worship where, you know, like, okay, I'll come to church once a week because it's not really important if I'm there. I don't even sing that loud anyway or on key. So what, why does it matter if I sing? Maybe the thing that God's calling you to emphasize again is the gathered worship to make a priority to come among the saints and to sing songs of worship together. Whatever it might be, whatever area, maybe you're overemphasizing God as audience, but not thinking about how our worship affects one another. Maybe you're overemphasizing the world as audience and not enough about the church as audience. Whatever it might be, what are the areas that God is calling you to start emphasizing again? Hear me, church. Worship that celebrates the gospel brings all three of these things together. God as the object of our worship the scattered and the gathered context, and the remembrance that God, the church, and the world is our audience. And so right now, why don't we get ready for a time of response? Why don't we close our eyes? And I want you to reflect on this. As we went through this teaching, what area in your life is God really challenging you to strengthen, to fortify? What area of your heart is God calling you to work on, to start emphasizing again? I feel like for some of you, it might be a recommitment to the gathering, to remember the importance of coming together to build up this temple. For some of you, you need a more expansive understanding of worship outside the walls of this church, that everything you do as you pay mind to it is worship unto God. For some of you, it's the first thing you you realize that God actually hasn't been the object of your worship and and God is calling you to return and say, God, I want to make you the most important thing in my life. For some of you, maybe it's the reminder that God is not the type of audience that's hypercritical, that's always looking to point out my mistakes, but he is delighted in my offering. Maybe for some of you, you need to remember that the church is our audience and when I come to this gathering, I'm not coming just to strengthen my personal relationship with God, but, but maybe I'm to speak a word of encouragement to that person that I saw. Maybe I'm supposed to pray over that person. Maybe even when I'm singing, I'm praying that song over someone around me that I know needs it. Or maybe for some of you, the world needs to be the audience again. Maybe the song you're singing isn't a Maverick City song, but maybe it's the patience that, you fl- that flows out of you in the workplace when tensions are high. Maybe it's the love that you extend to the lonely person that you see on the street. Maybe it's just simply the how are you to the person that needs it. Whatever it might be, ask God, what area of my worship are you calling me to emphasize once again? What area are you calling me to fortify? Just take a moment to do that.